Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hi guys, Sam here, host of the AEW Match Guide podcast. Before we get started on today's episode, I wanted to quickly let you all know that after Double or Nothing 2022, the creation of the second edition of the definitive AEW Match Guide will begin. The first edition sought votes from a diverse group of AEW commentators around the internet wrestling community to collectively rank the greatest matches from the first two years of the promotion's history, and that list is what the matches this podcast reviews is based on. For the second edition of the list that will look at matches between Double or Nothing 2021 and 2022, I'm hoping to cast that net even wider, so I'm hoping to get your support. If you're interested in submitting your votes and weren't involved last year, then please reach out to me on Twitter at Sir underscore Samuel or via email sambrownmedia at gmail.com. And when the time comes, I'll send you out a ballot to get your vote. To celebrate this, for the month of May, we'll be looking at three different matches from previous Double or Nothings, and then in the week before Double or Nothing 2022, I'll be hosting a YouTube live stream previewing the pay-per-view. Looking forward to see you all there. That's it for now though, so let's hit the music and get this show on the road. Welcome to the AEW Match Guide Podcast where we deep dive into the best matches in AEW history. Brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network and your host, Sam Brown. Yes, hello and welcome to the AEW Match Guide Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brown. Thank you for joining me. Every week, alongside a special guest, I take an in-depth look at one of the best matches in AEW history, taken from the definitive AEW Match Guide, as ranked by over 30 wrestling commentators from around the internet wrestling community. If you enjoy the show today, you can subscribe and rate it on your podcast app of choice, and make sure you check out all of the other great shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network that cover all aspects of the world of pro wrestling. My guest for today is a writer for WrestleIn, Libby Cadman, and we're looking at the Elite vs. The Inner Circle Stadium Stampede match from Double or Nothing 2020. How are you going today, Libby? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you? Very excited to talk about this match. This is a, a match that... I had penciled in from the start that this is going to be one that I'm looking forward to breaking down. It was an incredible moment in time. It was an incredible achievement given everything they were going through at the time. So, and it's it's something that holds up, I think, holds up to this day. So I'm really looking forward to getting into it. Oh, absolutely. Watching it back two years later, especially where we are now with AEW, was very bittersweet, a little bit emotional. Surprising. Uh, just amazing. Well, we won't beat around the bush too much, but as I ask all of my guests here on the AW Match Guide podcast, Libby, how did you get into AEW? 
think, you know, like a lot of people, I, you know, I followed the elite from from New Japan over into their new adventure. Um, it, it felt like totally the right right thing for them. And it was very exciting. And it was sort of a no brainer that, yep, I was going to be watching AW from now on. It was interesting how New Japan sort of they kind of wanted to do the American stuff. And obviously Ring of Honor were a presence mm. here in, in America. But I guess their ambition didn't match what the elite wanted to do. And we yeah. we sort of really see that in full fulfillment today, you know, with a weekly TV show always packing out 4,000, 5,000 people every week, which was just something that neither of those companies were even trying to do um, and were, were scaling to do at all. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know what? Funnily enough, I was reading the Young Bucks book last night uh, and, you know, they they spoke about what it was like, that split. Um, And it's quite emotional in a way. And, you know, it really felt like the elite and what they wanted to do and New Japan went on the same page and it was time for something new and and different. And, you know, I think it's only been for the better. I think everyone has had to up their game since AEW started. And it just made total sense that, you know, this was this was a thing for them. It's interesting you mentioned that. That's not something it's very common that people have got into AEW that way. That's exactly the same thing for me. But it's mm. not something we've talked about how um, with any of the other guests, how that would have actually been very difficult for them, uh, yeah. given that, you know, it, talk about a mutually beneficial relationship like New Japan really gave particularly Kenny Omega a platform that Kenny Omega took full advantage of and brought lots of fans in. So. And and he would have he was someone who was very invested in himself as a wrestler in Japan. Uh, so moving that away, and then of course the Young Bucks they had like they had tried going through TNA. They had flirted with WWE and been somewhere like rejected by that. And so they had to build themselves up. And Ring of Honor were a big part of of giving them a platform to be themselves and to grow themselves and to put themselves out there. And so both of these companies that they're leaving are, are companies that have had a leap of faith with them and, and obviously benefited from that relationship. But at the same time, like you, they would have felt a, a sense of loyalty to that. Oh, 100 percent. And and, you know, the original biggest independent show ever, <laughs> you know, New Japan and, and Ring of Honor were part of that. Um, Huge parts and, of it, yeah. And it, it couldn't have happened without them. But they, the Young Bucks speak about in their book how, how they really felt like New Japan wasn't taking them as seriously as the rest of the world. Um, they weren't able to, you know, maybe express themselves in the way they wanted. There was kind of this split with kind of Bullet Club USA, Bullet Club Japan. Mm. And along with Kenny, it, it was just like, you know, things things have got to change. And they were really considering WWE for, for a really long time. And I'm very glad they, they didn't go to WWE in the end. Um <laughs> But it's so interesting because, you know, New Japan definitely felt jilted by it. And Ring of Honor, they kind of understood. But again, it was a bit crushing for them. But there is this sense of this was always going to happen in a way that, you know, the elite, they've never functioned on a level where they follow the path of everyone else. I mean, the this, this stadium stampede, I think, is is an example of yeah. that. It's yeah, such a unique piece of, mm. of uh, wrestling. Um, something like this was was always going to happen in some form. It just took, you know, a Tony Khan, <laughs> a lover of wrestling with a lot of money to sort of link up, link up with them. Um, and, and now here we are. Yeah, absolutely. And neither of us would call AEW a perfect company by no. any means, but 
it's it's certainly a company that for myself obviously i do i launched a whole podcast about the company. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know this is a this is a company that i've really immensely enjoyed and really made me love wrestling in a way that i didn't beforehand so yeah i'm very thankful that that all that all happened so enough beating around the bush we're going to get into the match the stadium stampede match um from double or nothing 2020 as we do every single week on the aw match guide i'm going to give the match its flowers unfortunately dave Meltzer did not rate though um because it was a cinematic match he doesn't rate those the, and and fair enough like it's a it's a bit of a different thing that they're doing um but mm-hmm. cage match gave um currently rates it at 9.2 sticks when we did the AEW match guide back in 2021, looking at the first, the best matches of, across the first two years of AEW, this match came in fourth. Um, so a match that is absolutely beloved by AEW fans. Uh, so uh, definitely a lot to dig into. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll start with looking at the build. Uh, of course, it's the inner circle versus the elite. Uh, and this was a rivalry that was born on the very first Dynamite, very early on. You could even argue it was born in the the second press conference when Kenny Omega and and Chris Jericho got stuck into it uh, at the second press conference. But of course the inner circle came about on the very first episode of dynamite beating up the elite and, and becoming, I guess the major team to rival the elite uh, in their promotion. And they were particularly strong and particularly influential in the feud that Cody Rhodes had with Chris Jericho. Of course, there was some large multi-man things and lots of big brawls at the end of the dynamite programs. Uh, and then they were used for for stepping the inner circle were used as stepping stones for John Moxley to use to get to Chris Jericho in his program leading up to Revolution in 2020. Libby, what were your first impressions of the inner circle and the initial impact they had in AEW? Hmm. Well, I was interested for sure. I think factions are very important. Um, alliances, friendships, you know. All those things, all those relationships are what really drive, you know, anything towards actual matches. So having the inner circle, I think, was great. I really enjoyed, you know, the the fact that this gave a platform for Satana and Ortiz, um, as well as Sammy Guevara. Um, and I think it, it just made sense, really, um, for them. And I definitely felt like Jericho, he wanted to come in as a heel. And the elite, they really like no no matter what they were gonna do, they were gonna be faces. Do you know what I mean? Oh like, yeah, the first year they were not gonna get they were not gonna get booed. <laughs> there was no not chance. like <laughs> not a chance. And I think that was actually incredibly hard for them. Um, I think they felt a lot of weight um, in that, and that they couldn't necessarily be the the wrestlers they they were before. So that transition, I think, was interesting for them as well mm. as they definitely felt a sense of they shouldn't like the elite felt like they shouldn't have got all the wins and the pins. And so it was an Mm. interesting time to see us watching like the inner circle and the elite and everyone's behind the elite, but the inner circle are the ones that are really like climbing the rankings, making the impact um, compared to them. So it felt Mm. right. It felt natural. It felt like the elite needed that counter faction, that, that counter people everyone had their relationships there as well, you know, like LAX and the young bucks, you know, they'd had plenty mm. of matches. Um, Sammy Guevara also was very connected to, to the elite. Mm. Jericho and Kenny have history. And as well as Paige and Jericho, you know, started mm. off AEW with a rivalry. So mm. it, it made total sense, really. Um, and it also sort of opened the avenues, I think, for a lot of fun, creative minds uh, to, to do something. So I was excited, I think, when, when they first came around. Yeah, it was interesting how Chris Jericho 
his early thing was almost a very meta thing, uh, meta mm. storyline that he was going for, that talking about how AEW was all about him and how he was the one to thank for AEW and how the fans should be thanking him because he's Chris Jericho and he's the one that's brought all of these fans together. He's the one that's brought Tony Khan on board. He's the one that's done all these things. And, of course, the fans are there. A, a large majority of them, very, especially early on, are there because of the elite. They're there mm. because of of what those guys have done on BTE and all of that. So uh, the inner circle was a really good counterbalance to that. And and Chris Jericho's early uh, early character and, and what he was talking about was an interesting counterbalance to like the audience narrative and, and what the audience knew to be true. Uh, but with enough truth in it, because of course Chris Jericho is by far, he was the biggest name to be on board early on and yeah. no doubt brought a lot of attention to AEW, particularly in those early Dynamites when he was just creating meme after meme week after week yeah. um, and, and doing some of the best work of his career, establishing himself as the champion, as the top dog, uh, and and Cody Rhodes was just on fire opposite him as the beating heart of the elite uh, and of mm. the promotion. Uh, and that's kind of what this rivalry is born out of because in the we'll get to the video package but one of the questions that the video package asks uh before the match Kenny Omega says maybe we weren't the ones that were de- destined to change the world maybe yeah. it was you guys all along uh and you know that's a theme that was there right in the very first in the very first press conference when Chris Jericho's there saying we're going to change the universe he's I'm going to change the universe uh and and he's you know Signaling that to himself is like an early tip, tip of the cap. A hundred percent. And I think there is the inner circle were also important in the fact with Chris Jericho heading it. If you were catching AEW for the first time and you didn't know about the elite, you probably knew who Chris Jericho was. Mm. Um, and so they're a perfect sort of, um, you know, connecting way for audience who, who don't know who the elite are. Uh, to to learn who they are and what they're about and also be open to them I think if you hadn't watched them in New Japan you might really wonder why they're so favored by you know by this audience mm. Um, mm. and by having Chris Jericho and 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 what he brings to the, the product um, I think also opened people's minds or brought eyes um, to mm. the to the elite who, who you might not might not have known you know AW is for people who love the elite but it's also for you know as many people to watch as possible absolutely absolutely and definitely early on there were people who weren't as familiar with the elite as say you or i were who mm, you know mm. loved their content consumed bta every week like it was some sort of religious <laughs> religious program <laughs> uh, and you know dug deep into kenny omega and kota Ibushi's, you know years years long relationships oh, so truly, um, truly. yeah that's a, that's another podcast we can't get that to. Is, that is a that whole other conversation. <laughs> um, look, the actual – the stadium stampede match, like this is a long and winding road to get there. We've sort of mm. laid the groundwork. But the actual match, of, of course, originally these guys post-revolution after Inner Circle had their – um, had their match with well Chris Jericho had the match with John Moxley that involved all of the inner circle and there was of course the tag match between the Young Bucks and Hangman and Kenny 
Uh, these two factions sort of renewed hostilities post-revolution 2020 and were building up originally to a blood and guts match um, that was going to take place when AEW debuted in the New York markets. Uh, that, of course, never happened due to the global pandemic shutting everything down. Uh, and then the delays in the pandemic meant changes to what was happening. Of course, we never got a blood and guts match between those guys. Uh, and Cody dipped out of this this program uh, to sort of pursue his own thing and set up the TNT belt. And then he was replaced by Matt Hardy, um, who debuted on the first, I guess we'd call it pandemic or lockdown episode of Dynamite uh, in the main event. He debuted uh, with Matt Jackson saying he pulled in a favor. Uh, and of course we had Vanguard one coming in, Matt Hardy appearing and then teleporting uh, that segment. What, what did you think of Matt Hardy getting involved and, and Cody not being part of this? You know, I, I, in my mind, this for me is the the unofficial um, departing of of Cody from the elite. Um, it it really felt like this was the moment where the split happened. I think I don't know if on purpose or what. You know, the TNT title came about, but it's kind of this um, weird kind of liminal time where Cody's mm. not quite there and then by the stadium stampede he's out and it's very interesting to to look on the build-up and see that promo that Cody cut right at the beginning of the pandemic where he Mm. they're prepping for blood and guts and he asks the elite to to sort of stand by him and he goes through them one by one and it makes you believe Cody is more invested in the elite more than anyone at that Mm. time and so it's very fascinating to watch that back compared to where they actually got to by the time it was Stadium Stampede, um, because it, the narrative was that they they were down on numbers, right? The, the elite didn't mm. have enough people for this match, um, and and that the whole point of Blood and Guts as well was, um, I believe they were they were fighting to have a numbers advantage as well. Mm. Um, so there's this whole thing, and um, uh, the. Because Nick Jackson was, I'll just interrupt you there. One of the numbers mm. things that you mentioned was Nick Jackson was injured. He got yes. taken out by Revolution. I think that was so a good. Uh, I think his his wife was having a kid or something along those lines. He was he was actually meant to be on leave at that yes. point. Um, and so was they were down on numbers that way. Uh, but continue. Yes, yeah. Um, and so when it came about that um this whole angle they didn't have enough people um and then it was broken map that was joining them honestly i was very overjoyed like it it felt like a great little little bonus to this it was great for the company it felt right for the for the elite you know they they have a lot of history especially the young bucks with with matt hardy um and you know it, it was a really joyous moment when he showed up um and it kind of you know, I think that was the moment where it was cemented. It was like, nope, Cody is not going to be involved in this match whatsoever. He's not even gonna, you know, rally behind them. Uh, and it felt like it, it felt good. I, I mean, I, I was sad Cody wasn't part of it, and there was this weird question about what that if he was even connected with them anymore. But I feel like bringing Broken Matt in was like a little bit of like a, a an insertion of energy into into what was happening um and you know when matt popped up it was a little bit hokey pokey with the Mm. (laughs) with the cutting him cutting around the stadium but i I loved it i I thought um it was a great addition it it felt right um and it, it felt like it sparked back up 
this rivalry um, because we were in that kind of mm. question mark space. What was happening with the elite? Very much you know the meme with the lady in the maths going on all around her trying to connect the yeah. dots. So it felt like it sort of anchored it back to mm. um, you know a team versus team, and you could see the look on Chris Jericho's mm. face when when Matt Hardy was um, debuted and brought up and joining the team, and he, like his face dropped and and uh, you know it was a nice injection of energy into. Mm going into Stadium Stampede and the concept that Matt was going to be part of Stadium Stampede, Mm. you knew there was going to be some crazy stuff happening. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the the Cody promo at the start and how it's kind of getting back to team versus team because but even within that, you still had uh, tension within the elite. You had like a lot of Mm. unresolved things from that rivalry that Kenny and the Bucks and Hangman all had. Uh, and in, even in that promo, I think Hangman doesn't actually get into the ring because um, no. I a, a few weeks ago uh, I when Cody left, I went back to try and find when the last time all of the elite together were mm. in the ring uh, and and were on camera together, and that was the first place I went. But Nick, of course, wasn't there at that point because yeah. he was away. But I know I noted when that happened, um, knowing I had this podcast coming up at some point. Yeah. That Hangman r- didn't enter the ring while Kenny and Matt did. Um, so even then, you've still got this space between them, which is going to go into this match as well. Uh, and that's continuing to be emphasised throughout the build-up. With the Matt Hardy stuff, look, I'll be honest, I had a, had a little less patience for it than you did. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't like the sort of breaking of the realistic universe, and I still don't like that sort of mm. stuff in AEW. I don't think that that has no place in wrestling, but... I, I don't know, for me, I'm a, I, I like to have sort of some sort of level of consistency at least, and that just yeah. pushed things out too far for me. But you know what? Even though I had less patience for it at the start, as we're going to talk about when we get into the match, I, I think it actually worked for this match and in this circumstance because of the everything that's going on and because of the type and the tone of this match, I, I think it works. So even though, like, initially – Little stickler over here didn't have a lot of time for it. it no, it, it makes it makes total yeah. sense. It's something that if you're going to do it, it has to be done well. And, and yeah. the Stadium Stampede does it well. And I think yeah. that that's yeah. what kind yeah. of changes perhaps your opinion or it charms you more. Um, because like I said, you know, when they did that cutting of Matt around the stadium, like he was like apparating around, it was it was quite hokey pokey. And and that yeah. I think is it's a natural response to be like, yeah. I mean, I wasn't convinced, but I was excited about um the prospects, the prospects mm. of it. And and I mean, even more than just the transform the teleporting, like this guy is saying that he is thousands of a, a spirit that is thousands of years old that is inhabiting the body of this person um yeah and has like cosmic superpowers uh, i don't know it, it just was too much for me to deal with it what is by for all means a real like for all intents and purposes a reality-based wrestling program sure um, yeah, yeah but you know what uh, we're uh this is not the time to to like debate <laughs> that and have that have that have that uh full you know discourse about that um because as we said like it it actually works in this match so uh, and we'll get into that when we talk about that about the the match itself now I, I sort of brought it up we touched on a little bit but i wanted to to get into it what did you think of the tension amongst the elite getting into it i loved it i loved the tension oh yeah. my gosh i love the drama it's amazing um you know this the, the whole thing with uh kenny and hangman being a tag team 
Um, I just I, I absolutely adored it. And I loved that they really cashed in on the fact of how that made everybody else feel through that journey. Um, mm. And I, you know, I, I was trying to trace, you know, all of this back. And really, they the elite were never the same um, officially, I think, after the Young Bucks versus Kenny and Adam I think that was the, the the final straw for them them winning the titles was was that that first sort of taste of tension mm. um and Kenny and Hangman's relationship that was you know so interesting to watch sort of Kenny always reaching for Hangman and uh, wanting that you know that connection and Hangman never quite giving it up but so desperate for that validation and that belt at mm. the same time for them to then face the young bucks and be so so self-aware in that i mean you have to talk about that much for ages as well um but they were never the same never the Mm. same after that yeah it's like there was man hangman it's like there was things that were said in that build-up that couldn't be unsaid and like at that point i i honestly think like there's gonna be a day and I thought Cody Rhodes would be part of this. Um, but I thought there would be a day in like, you know, five years time mm. where they do a big story arc to a reunion of the elite. And I thought Cody Rhodes would also be part of that, even though it was clear, you know, that something was not <laughs> quite there behind the scenes for, you know, his final. Well, even like from this point onwards, he wasn't part of the elite anymore. Um, yeah. But this is straight after that tag match. And, you know, like Kenny can forgive the Bucks for what they've done to him because of like they've got such a deep relate, a much more equal relationship, I guess. Whereas like Hangman, the the rawness of some of the things that were said just couldn't be undone for him. And the feeling was mutual with the Bucks. Uh, And, yeah, I I loved how they the build up played into that, um, but but showed that they would actually have to be able to fight on the same page if they were going to beat the inner circle. Cause in the inner circle, you had a team that was firing on all cylinders and all going the same way, like all pulling the same direction. Uh, Absolutely. As, I think in the video package, as Chris Jericho said, he's like, we never hit our finishes on each other. Um, that's changed, but <laughs> we <laughs> yeah, never hit, our, we never hit our finishes on each other. Like we, we are united. You guys aren't. Uh, and yeah. and I, I love that they had that threat of tension heading into this, even though obviously the ultimate threat is the inner circle. The thing I love about the elite is it's always like complex characters and, and they always have like a continual line of canon. It's not like, oh, yeah. we finished with that program. We're now just going to change and move on to the next one. And this is out the only thing we ever remember. There's, like a consistent line of canon throughout the years between how the characters interact and and what they're remembering and the things they bring up. Uh, and me and Caro talked about that when we talked about the Hangman and Kenny feud and how this was almost a moment of where these two characters sort of get back together a little bit, but um, at the same time, there's there's still that tension going throughout the throughout the whole team. Definitely, and, and as well, like with COVID. Um, you know, the Bucks and Adam, they weren't there for quite a long time. Mm, yep. And they only came back, I think, the dynamite before 
to save uh, a hilariously like torn up Kenny's like he's got jorts on and a t-shirt that's supposed to look like it's been torn up but it's obviously just been sliced in like several yeah. precise <laughs> locations it she looks ridiculous yeah um and so the bucks and hangman they come in to to save him mm. um and immediately after they save Kenny you know hangman walks away he walks you know mm. they're in the field and he walks down the tunnel and and away from them so there was very much this sense as well as like oh you know they're they're back but we're acknowledging that there's been a pandemic we're acknowledging mm. there's been some space and we're acknowledging that actually they mention it in the in the opening bt as well which i thought was very well done and i wish they did mm. more of these i think these mm. are so good yeah. um that the elite's real enemy is themselves that you know we feel like the elite is probably going to win this and the only way they might maybe lose is by their own self-sabotage by their own mm. per- personal problems between mm. each other so the stakes are like very very high for the elite between mm. themselves let alone just you know winning this match mm. Yeah. Uh, now, because of the way that the build up happened with, as as we said, the, the Bucks were stuck in the West Coast. They weren't able to to make the Georgia tapings and, and weren't able to travel to Dynamite for quite a while. You had, of course, Chris Jericho there with Kenny Omega and Matt, Matt Hardy. And then you had Hangman Page sort of separated off as well. There's a lot of random stuff happening. Nick and Matt have like a feud at this point <laughs> during yes. this time. And they have oh, a huge yes. match on the second on the two hundredth episode of BTE, which is a cinematic match. Uh we of course had the legendary Chris Jericho versus Pineapple Pete rivalry, which was probably the highlight for the Georgia tapings. Yeah, and actually kind and, of important for this. Like it fed into this, weirdly enough. Oh, ex- explain how. Explain going go into how. Well, it it just kind of like it it led up to that point of like really cementing Chris Jericho is like like something something about it felt like he was gonna unhinge himself for the yeah, stadium yep. stampede. <laughs> yeah, even though he's no longer champion, he is he's still like quite unhinged and and very aggra- as aggressive as ever. Yeah. yeah, and and then of course we had um uh, a really good street fight between Kenny Omega and Matt Hardy versus Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara. Was there anything about all of those things that I mentioned that you, you know, you want you, you wanted to bring up or, or you thought struck a chord with you? Yeah, what did you think of it all? Um, yeah, again, it was kind of like this weird liminal time where we were kind of, we, we weren't sure who was going to be around, what was happening. And I thought the street fight actually was really good to to bring us back to sort of a narrative thread of the inner circle versus the elite like it felt like it needed that Mm. in there um to remind us that that that's where these tensions lie and especially um that match you know it ends with Kenny basically versus the inner circle um Mm. and that was very important um because the main beef really kind of going through that other than everything going on was the fact that they had put Nick out of action right Mm. And they were kind of holding on to that. And then this felt like it, it was needed to really sort of amp up the volume as to why they would even have mm. the stadium stampede match and to set it up like it was Kenny by himself with the whole inner circle sort of taking him out um, really gave the reason why everyone from the elite needed to come back in and they needed to face mm. each other as teams rather than, you know, again, like a Matt and uh, Kenny versus whoever again. Mm. Um, and also the street fight, I think, set up 
uh, yeah. a bit of lore yep. and a bit of fun that we revisit in the stadium mm. stampede. Um, and it also felt like, you know, to see Kenny doing that stuff, it, you know, it had that that whiff of DDT to it. Yeah. Um, watching you climb that crane and, and jump off, I was like, that's very Kotobushi of you. Yeah. Um, it sort of uh, put us in this kind of space as well to be like, oh, like this is what they can do in a street match. Mm. Imagine what could be done kind of like for this. Yeah, like, because we think of Kenny Omega as, like, you know, best bout machine, main event mm. versus Kota Ibushi, Tanahashi, IWGP champion. But, you know, this is a bloke who got his start wrestling in campgrounds. Yeah. <laughs> diving off piers and doing all sorts of wild stuff. I just remember with that beforehand, I can't remember if it was on uh, BTE or if it was on Dynamite, but him, like, being like, I can get in a fight. I'm, I'm a tough guy. Yeah. <laughs> I can get in a fight. Do I, do I wear jeans? We should wear jeans for this because we're in a street fight. <laughs> yeah, there was this whole thing about it was it was Kenny's first real street fight yeah <laughs> um despite the fact you know him going over to Japan was on the basis that he was the king of the Canadian streets <laughs> and everything like that it was this concept that like if you know Kenny from DDT you've seen him do some pretty wild stuff yeah. um this concept the American audience were were learning this kind of ridiculous side of Kenny yeah. um and the concept that he'd never done this like on American soil I, I thought was <laughs> was great as well uh and I, I wanted to mention the Nick versus Matt Jackson match because like thinking oh, about yeah. it between between that and the street fight like we should have known that these guys were going to be able to do that these guys knew what they were doing um mm. going into a match like this like that Nick and Matt Jackson thing kind of came from Nick being taken out he wanted a match against Matt to prove that he was ready uh, for this. He was ready to get going and Matt didn't want to have the match. So they, I can't remember why Matt decided someone would get a match against him, but they had like a battle royale with like Brandon Cutler and Scorpio Sky yes. and some other random people from the West Coast. They were uh, the SoCal people, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and, and they had on the tennis courts at the apartment complex or whatever that the Bucks live at, I don't know. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then Nick wins it. And, and they have this giant cinematic match where they brawl through the condominiums. They have all these like flashbacks, but you get the sort of the, the reason I said I brought it up and wanted to talk about it is you get the sort of blend of like comedy Easter eggs, um, you know, like winks and nudges mixed with like real drama that you can get invested in and that, you know, can make you feel a little bit emotional and, and make you feel, you know, a little bit sentimental and, and get you really emotionally engaged in the match. And from, from that, and as of course you mentioned the, the absolute hilarity and craziness that was the street fight. Uh, we, you know, they really gave us some flags to say, we know what we're doing here. Yeah. We, and I don't think like, I personally wasn't worried about it at all. I, I didn't expect it to be the quite the success it was, but we should have said, like, I should have seen <laughs> the signs. They were all there. Yep. 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 Let's get into the actual match itself. Did start off with a video package. I forgot how good this video package was. I forgot it had even been one. But as you said, like, yeah. it was a really good video package. Really summarized those things we were talking about, those themes of, like, who controls AW, who whose revolution is this? Is this the elites? Is this the inner circles? Uh, and, and as you mentioned, talked about the disunity that was apparent and the the tension that was apparent in the elite. Yeah, you said before you, you want them to do more of these. You know, one of the, the things that I love 
about wrestling this is the production side and so I think when it comes to a match a really really good VT can mm. make all the difference it it's what I think sets the tone I think before a match it can make you feel differently before you go in um and and AEW has been criticized and I think rightly so for putting together feuds or matches or things and people who don't necessarily know the elite that well or more casual viewers get upset they feel they don't understand or that, that they've not kept up it doesn't reward them and I think a really good VT solves that problem because they're concise they're well edited um they they really set um a feeling um and they give you all the information you need before going in like it's that little reminder uh and it sets you up really to remember and see anything particular they might want you to see right so maybe they're going to reference something in the match but if you haven't been following or perhaps you're not you know that invested you're going to miss it and you're maybe going to question that moment so i think these vts when they use them mm. and they do them well they make all the difference um and i thought this one was just so good watching it back yeah this was really well produced and they splashed out for the voiceover guy as well that's i don't yeah. know who it is but it's it's a guy who i've heard in like big sports documentaries i'm pretty sure i've heard him in movie trailers like they splashed mm. some cash to get that guy and it, it was good it was really well well spent and and a great setup for the match uh and of course the match opens with like a drone or helicopter shot going over the stadium uh, and giving a sense of the scale of everything the fields like done up there's cheerleaders there's pyro going off all sorts of paraphernalia around it's you know it's set up to have like a big dramatic scale and we see that right from the start and then of course we have the entrances the inner circle come out um, with matching black and red football jerseys. The elite come out with their BTE music. And, of course, there's no Hangman page in the initial entrances. Um, what did you think of the setting, the presentation, and all, all of that before the match began? Loved, loved seeing the stadium. Reminded you of its scale, of the grandiosity. Um, it really, you know, it really set up this concept of this cinematic feeling. Mm. Um, and I love that they, they cashed in on the the football feeling of the entrances mm -hmm. right they had they had them running out onto the field they had the smoke and the fire um and what i thought was really interesting and i think um really leans into these concepts of of unity was the inner circle they all had matching football gear on right mm. um and they come out and you see them together as one and then the elite come out so Matt and Nick come out. They also have captains. They have team captains, which is really yeah. so irrelevant in this case. So Jericho's the the inner circle team captain, and Matt and Nick are the captains of the elite. And Matt and Nick come out, and then they're in their young bucks gear. And then Kenny comes out, and you go, huh? Okay, so they're not in like a matching mm. costume, and costumes for the elite have always been more of a heel thing when they all mm. come out. But they do it. They cash in on on that stuff, and mm. you know. They've all said before they feel like, you know, tag teams should have matching matching gear. They, sh you know, mm. teams should look like a unit. It's really important to them. So for Kenny to come out in similar colours, but them not to have this whole like football team feel as well was kind of like, huh, interesting. When you look at the teams, what looks like a team, mm. what looks like a football team compared to them, it, w it was very different. It sort of mm. felt like 
a deliberate omission in that moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also then, like you said, Kenny came out by himself. There was no hang then. Matt came out. And what was also very interesting was that they were asking Kenny, you know, where's Adam? Where is he? And he, Kenny's just very confidently nods and is mm. like, no, 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 he's coming. And we know that, you know, later down the line, we get the elite squad. So mm. this concept of not only do they, they're not, they're not in football gear, they're not mm. in a team gear, as well as Hangman's not there. It feels like a very sort of tensionous <laughs> tension yeah. start for them um yep. you know one team facing the other one looks like a team one doesn't mm. yeah that that sums it up perfectly you've said everything that i would say in that point <laughs> all all i'd add all i'd add is that i just love how ortiz wears a football helmet oh my god <laughs> so kind of like, for those kind of, kind of like not quite fitting his head because he's got such big hair and it's fluffed up Um, it's like sitting clamped down down there um very very funny visual um that i'm definitely not doing justice to yeah Um, i absolutely love it and and also like uh it's interesting as well they're kind of like prepared for a football match like those pads and that helmet and stuff yep that's yep. going to help them i also really did love the fact that like mac jackson came out with a whole bin (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> getting out of room and I was like, amazing. I love this. This is yeah. great. Amazing. Yeah. Um, now, getting into the actual match, we're absolutely not going to be able to go into every single detail, but we're going to cover the bigger points. So um, they start out at like the 40 meter lines, or sorry, it's probably like the 40 yard lines, I guess, because it's mm. American, um, and just running at each other full pelt, launching themselves, throwing their weapons and footballs. And it, it's, you know, very chaotic, um, but they still do like a good job of keeping the focus on the spots that matter. And, you know, it's mostly just brawling and double team moves, but they do a good job of not stepping on one another's toes, getting in each other's way. I think one of the the superpowers of the Young Bucks uh, in tag team wrestling is how they structure things so well. And and that's evident in this early, in, you know, this early ongoing, this early bit, which could have just been a complete mess, but isn't. But however, honestly, I, I do think this is like the weakest point of the match. Um, yeah. It's before they really do anything of consequence um but at the same time it's like it's necessary to set the table i guess yeah definitely like it's definitely chaotic Mm. (laughs) to start with um and it's also kind of funny that they put a ring in the field it it makes sense it's wrestling i guess but falls count anywhere and nobody gets in the ring um uh and they do later they do they do after they do they do go into the ring certainly not initially yeah um, but they start outside and then mm. the young bucks kind of take it to the ring. Mm. Um, so it, it's definitely um, it, it makes sense, you know, at the beginning. Um, but I think when when it really kind of hits its moment is when we first see Hangman on the horse. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's like the first sort of out of the box moment where <laughs> you get like just the perfect shot of it as well, because it's set mm. up with um, Sammy Guevara, a shot of him. And he sees Hangman, and of course we've had the beautiful stun shot of him seeing the car that's about to drive at him during the during the street fight, and he has yeah. that same look on his face. Uh, and then it cuts to Hangman on a horse charging him down. What an entrance! Uh, it just it's so good, and it's the it's the moment where we stop watching it like a regular match. The the shots mm. aren't the same. It's mm. not 
the hard cam and the camera's close and what you know whatever it's for the first time like a framed Mm. cinema feeling shot of catching Sammy turn around and his mouth drop but then to cut you know against hangman on a horse it feels like that's the moment where we move from okay this is Mm. wrestling to like oh this is something else yeah but they do it very very smartly in that Mm. they're sort of easing the audience into this like almost alternate reality we're going to be living in for the next half hour or whatever in that like hangman's ridden a horse in AEW before that's how he made an entrance for the biggest match of his career at the time at all out 2019 and of course we've seen Sammy Guevara have that stunned look and and be chased away by something in a very comical manner uh in the the street fight in the lead up so it's it's a great way to like just softly ease the audience and and change the tone and move us into where we're going to be for the rest of the the rest of the match and props to semi Guevara the way he just like just makes a beeline off the road hangman chases him down yeah (laughs) it's like with the benny hill like arms Mm. like flapping as he runs i just that was that was so good uh Yeah. yeah i loved that yeah, and then of course we go back to the ring with the remaining wrestlers. Um, as I said, like this is essential for getting us, to, for moving us off. We need to have this bit beforehand. We see, yeah. we saw in 2021 what it looks like when they don't have this part, and it was not as good. Um, and I think part of that is straight away you're in like this weird space. Whereas in this, they're having a match, they're hitting wrestling moves, they're all hitting each other's finishes, you know, like Guevara turns and hits huge, two huge shooting star presses and we get like the typical double team maneuvers and, and things like that. Yeah, as I said, like it's so it's it's the weakest part of the match, but it's so essential at the same time. A hundred percent. And I think it's also important to note that Hangman does not join them in the ring. Mm. He has his own vendetta as well that's going on so again there the the elite were also down on numbers in that sense as well um and it it definitely brings us back to like the situation where we are and i think you know those big moves uh mm. sort of taken them they've gone into the ring the shooting star presses you know nick he jump mm. i think he jumps top rope does a beautiful flip um it brings us back out of the ring as well mm. makes sense for us to leave that space to move on to the next thing mm. so we've established the wrestling we've done that bit and now we're moving out again but we're doing it via wrestling moves so yep. it keeps yeah it keeps the thread going i want to yeah I, I feel i feel like it's worth stressing how important that is particularly when we're going to compare it to other cinematic matches down the line um so just make sure people listening make sure you remember this point <laughs> write that down um but things do sort of they they do start to break up so you get um omega and hardy heading off with santana ortiz and hager and then jericho and the bucks sort of brawling off um the next major thing we see is Matt Jackson climbing the uprights and hitting a moonsault off them after brawling with Jericho, hitting a moonsault off uh, onto uh, Jericho, Sammy, and and Nick Jackson, and Nick Jackson, his brother. Really high, like surprisingly high up, and a, a a pretty impressive feat of balance from from Matt Jackson there. Yeah, a hundred percent. And what's funny as well is in the VT beforehand when they're like cutting between all the members of the elite uh, and what they're saying matt says nick will jump off the freaking field go pulse and we we won't <laughs> give it f and lo and behold 
it's Matt Jackson that climbs the field yeah. goal um, and does it. And it's also like, he does a little prayer before, which I just thought is just so, so them. Um, yeah. And it's uh, it, I think it's such a good it's a good moment for us to to move away from the ring as mm. well. Like we've and we've moved there through wrestling they've mentioned you know on commentary that there are 18 cameras filming this Mm. match um and it feels like the first time we're breaking into scenes um Mm. rather than watching a match we've got now two Mm. halves of the field and this is you know this scene is happening Mm. and there's going to be a separate scene somewhere Mm. else i I think it was a really nice way to to start that first concept of a scene um, out of the ring into a different place and also using the football field which is exactly mm. what you want to see yeah absolutely fitting with the setting uh that they're that they're in um we we cut we see hangman on his horse yelling out still looking for sammy Guevara. he obviously lost track of sammy um running around <laughs> um but instead he finds a bar and enters that we then cut back and we see omega hardy santana ortiz um, who've brawled to the upper levels. Jake Hager somehow got lost at that point. I don't know how that happens, but somehow yeah. he got... He's, he's pretty <laughs> thick. He, uh, I blame Hager on that one, to be honest. Um, <laughs> uh, and and this is where we really get into sort of the, the falls count anywhere silliness section of things. Yeah. Uh, uh, and we get barricades, garbage cans, Proud and Powerful gets like some salt in the eyes of Omega, slam him into the guardrail, and then before that they power then they power bomb omega through that guardrail oh, onto man. concrete it, it gives like it gives me like real um real like attitude era falls count anywhere vibes um those yeah. sort of matches that they would have those just like chaos everywhere and omega's like we'll, we'll see later how crazy he is but like this is early warning he's he's just he's he's willing to do anything oh 100 as soon as they they went up there um, which I really enjoyed how they got up there as well, using the cones. The fact that it just cut to, to Kenny smacking on Ortiz with a with a cone yeah. just was like made me laugh so much. And it called back to the street fight. There are a lot of cones in the street yeah. fight. Um, and I knew as soon as they were up there, and as soon as I saw the guardrails, I was like, Kenny's gonna go through one of those. It's just yeah. so him. It's just he's gonna do it. He's what's gonna happen? I was like, he's gonna get a load of offense in, and it's gonna look like he's gonna put someone through that guardrail, but it's gonna be Kenny. I know it's gonna be Kenny, and lo and behold, <laughs> it was Kenny. And it was also like a very like solid heel face moment, you know, mm. like very much like Santana yelling like I'm about to take out the trash to then be mm. thrown into the bins himself. Yep. Yeah. Um. And it it just kind of taps into that kind of uh mad genius that these guys share that moment, mm. and it, it just feels it it feels like it makes a lot of sense as well because I think what happens throughout Stadium Stampede is that it becomes it it revisits that idea of it's a numbers game. Mm. Um. And throughout what we start to see is that the elite's game plan is to sort of take one member out at a time. Mm. And it's also important that, you know, to be able to move to another scene, um, it's got to make sense why we leave that one. And it's also got to make sense why everyone's not involved in that next scene. Mm. So putting Kenny through that rail gives a reason for Kenny to be out for a bit and for us to move to different people. Yes. And move on we shall, because this is where 
like the magic kicks in for me. Uh, this was the first. We're moving on to Matt Hardy and Santana Ortiz. There's a shallow pool, and Santana Ortiz oh, wow. grab him. They throw him into a pool. Santana dives straight in after him. Ortiz is a bit afraid because apparently he doesn't know how to swim. Um, yeah, apparently he's in water. <laughs> Heels in in uh, in AEW never. NJF can't swim. Or T's can't like, swim. They're like PS2 video game characters. <laughs> Truly, maybe they should you know go get some swimming lessons together, have a group <laughs> therapy session. You know, yeah. it seems to be a trend. But then of course we get Santana Ortiz holding Matt Hardy down in the water, but he transforms. It, somehow the Lake of Reincarnation water is in there, and he transforms into the different versions of himself. We get you know the different costumes at this point we get different graphics on the screen um we even get like the funniest little cut to him from the side you can see him while oh, he's under the water, water. he's signaling to the to the camera Livy, this was like the first real laugh out loud moment for me especially you know when they see him bugging to the camera <laughs> oh my it's so good um the concept as well that there's a camera there <laughs> yeah like ready to film that yeah. it's hilarious to me um the, the fact that the, the the matter of fact graphic pops up and it lists oh, all the different matters and Santana yeah. and Ortiz sell it like it's a physical thing around them and they're like gesturing as if like that's happening in real life I loved it. they just really went uh you know there's a line we're gonna cross it now <laughs> you know yeah like this is this is the place to do this stuff. it works yep. for for Matt it works for Broken Matt it it's that character is the environment for Mm. this bit and it's also a perfect little bit of like pantomime in there as well like it's just this little space that is ridiculous and it's amazing and I love it and I think whether you knew who Matt was or whether you know you weren't particularly bought in on on Matt being part of it but you loved that bit you know there's Mm. something so silly about it that's really charming uh and really like immerses you in in that moment and one thing I wanted to bring up as well is a production element. The commentators at this point, the commentary track for this is so perfectly like it's it's so done so well balancing levity um, and the humor and balancing the stakes of it and, and still putting it over as a big deal. And at this point, both Excalibur, Tony and JR just burst into laughter. Yeah. And it, it's like a release valve. Like you hear them laughing uh, and, and you can't help but follow them along with it. Uh, and give to give them their credit, like JR has sometimes he is a bit grouchy on commentary, yeah. but he didn't let that be the case in this because he knew what this, this match needed. And Excalibur, as I said, Excalibur and Tony, they literally just burst out laughing when the bat fat comes up. Uh, and Excalibur's oh, like okay. tripping all over his words because he's just thinking it's so funny. Uh, and it, it just sells the wackiness and allows the audience to go with them so perfectly, but not in a way that like undermines the stakes at the same time. And as I said, it's really well done. And then of course there is like, a clap track and there's there's booing and there's chanting and there's clapping underneath it as well, which just helps the atmosphere of the match as well, even though obviously they're doing it in an empty environment um, that, and it wouldn't have been present while they were doing it. You go along with it because of the way they've set things up and because of the the way the commentators are allowing you to go with it as well. You, you can match what they're doing. Um, so, so perfectly done by the commentators. And that's something that will continue on throughout, but I wanted to bring it up at this point because I noticed, I definitely noticed them just completely cracking up when the Matt fact yeah, came up. Yeah, definitely. And it definitely felt like 
JR wasn't completely on board until maybe this moment. You know, he he had a couple of comments earlier on, and you kind of go, okay, JR, mm. and then to, for for them to sort of fully buy in in this moment, it, it made all the difference. And like you said, that crowd noise, like if that if there was you know real crowd there they would get absolutely mental at that part so mm. it felt very natural uh mm. at that time to hear that compared to maybe you know maybe different parts of the match mm. um and also what i find hilarious about this moment is that it's just accepted that santana and ortiz are trying to legitimately drown matt hardy yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> they're just okay with it they're like oh yes they're just trying to murder him of course and the well, fact that damn, matt... joy would kick out at three so <laughs> yeah they had the facts, like, on the matter of fact that, like, Matt Hardy can hold his breath for, like, 300 and something seconds. And... Oh, really? Oh, I missed that. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. And when they get out of the pool, that Matt Hardy's just led there, face down, in the pool. And the commentary team are like, well, I guess they're just leaving him for dead. And it's just like, okay, yeah, okay, then sure. <laughs> Last thing I'll say is just amazing performance by Ortiz again just the way he like flounders around in the water oh, um so hilarious good. um the little steps he because yeah so well, you mentioned that like Santana he dives in but Ortiz goes to the it's a three-foot pool they say mm. this the commentators say it's a three-foot pool Santana goes up to the little steps and takes yeah. like the teeny tiny steps down into the pool it's like a Mr. Bean bit yeah, exactly. And it, it really just like it sets you up really to to see Matt Hardy uh, come back up and take them out because they really yeah. did the pantomime villain mm. bit there. Um, yeah, as I said, Hardy emerges, he set out of the pool, sets up Ortiz on a table and then goes Santana into charging at him and he then back body drops Santana over his head onto Ortiz through the table. Um, he then puts Ortiz in a bell that's nearby, he rings it and Ortiz sells it like he's having a seizure or something. Yeah, it's like he becomes unable to control his yeah. body. Um, he grabs a chair of wheels and then duct tapes Ortiz to it. Yeah, it, he, he says uh, he prescribes him uh, an aftercare plan, which is which is to rest <laughs> in that chair, and then he just kind of wheels him off. Yep, and that's the last we see of Ortiz. He's he's done for the night. Yeah, <laughs> um, and then of course brawling with Santana, lock him in the ice chest, which is a throwback to the street fight where those guys locked Matt Hardy in the in an ice chest. Uh, and this is the last we see of Proud and Powerful. Yeah, just overall, what did you think of this sort of stanza of of the match? I loved it. It was ridiculous. Uh, it felt right. Um, I, it was. <laughs> it's really fun. You know, I've never been to a football stadium, so I was like, okay, there's a pool there. Okay, there's a giant bell. Sure. Okay, there's a wheelchair <laughs> and an ice cabinet. Okay, yeah. Um, but I was completely bought in on it at, at this point because the, you know, as we said, they transition through these moments from wrestling to these you know cinematic mm. or, or comedy bits um so by the time we got to this bit you know it felt it just felt fun and exciting and and just totally made sense and mm. you know they talk about the fact that the pool <laughs> the pool has water from the lake of reincarnation <laughs> yeah. in it and like and that's why you didn't die and it's just like it rewards you if, if you know that stuff and if you don't there's the tidbits there for you mm. um it, it just felt like that the match really took off from that point mm. and i suppose this is where maybe you would say okay now we're in cinematic yeah. territory 
Yeah, this was like the most pure silly portion of the match. Mm. Um, you know, it didn't do anything really for any of their characters or something or anything, which we'll, we will see later. But you know, as we said, they sort of edged edge people up to the cliff, and this is them just like getting pushed off, and you're free falling in in these guys' cinematic style, and it it just works so perfectly. This is my favorite presentation of Matt Hardy ever in AEW, and and Santana and Ortiz were just incredible with the way they sold things in this as well. Yeah, um, the commitment, the commitment, yeah. I think, is what makes yeah. these bits. They were a hundred percent in it, and yeah. when they're having fun. You can feel it. You can really feel it, and that's all you really want for the, for the wrestlers that mm. you you watch. You want them to having to be having a good time, and that's you know rewarding in itself. Mm. And and Santana Ortiz, they're like an act that like in its time when it wants to be can like just drip with the authenticity of just being so tough. You know, I reviewed the parking lot fight mm. a number of episodes ago, and and. Those guys, when they want to, they can look like just mean, serious killers. But in this, they were happy to just, to as we as you said, play the pantomime villain. Props to them for just being willing to go with it and and go with the tone of the match that that they needed, even if it ran, you know, counter to how they would normally present themselves. Now, of course, the next focus we get to is. Hager, Jake Hager, who finds mm. the bar that Hangman is in. He sits down next to Hangman at the bar. Hangman pours him a whiskey and said, did you come here to f- to drink or did you come here to fight? Um, turns out, came here to do both. And they start brawling. Hangman uses his agility to pull off some, you know, acrobatics around the pool table and the, the bar before Hager finally catches him, slams him um, on the pool table, drives him down the bar like full Western style, and then gut wrench power bombs him through a table that's nearby for a two count. Uh, this is the best Hager has ever looked in AEW, in my opinion. Mm, yeah, definitely. I mean, it is such a. I, I think I maybe love this bit more than you know the broken mat segment. I think yep. there's something about this that's really special, mm. uh, and it's the first thing when I think of this match is actually the first thing that that always comes to mind. The bar and brawl, yeah. Well, um, Omega of course comes in uh, to Hangman's aid. The pair shatter like I don't know, like six or seven bottles of the bubble, a little bit of the bubbly on Hager's head before Kenny hits a V trigger and then bends over for Hangman to hit a buckshot lariat off Kenny's back in a move that Hangman would eventually do in 2022 to retain his AEW championship against Lance Archer. Uh, but that when I resaw that spot. After having seen the obviously after having seen this Lance Archer match, I just went boof. That blew my mind <laughs> that that popped up again. Uh, Galaxy brain. They're always they're always pulling out these Easter eggs. They're always doing this. The Elite are. And after the the pair dispose of Hager, Hangman pours Omega a glass of milk. Omega pours Hangman a glass of whiskey, and they cheers before drinking and then walking off a unified team once again. You said this was your favourite part of the match. Why? It's just, it's, not only is it fun, it's just absolutely dripping in story and tension. Mm. And I think it's really important that, you know, even before the the segment where Kenny went through the guardrail, we saw Hangman on his horse alone. He could, you know, the concept mm. that he could probably hear what's going on, but he chooses not not to get involved. And he sees mm. the sign for the bar and stops looking for Sammy. Hilariously tells his horse to stay like a dog um, <laughs> <laughs> and go to the bar. I mean, it is. I mean, he hasn't contributed to the match at all. Um, there's this sense that 
hangman could be the reason they lose mm. this yep. um for the stakes to feel that high in that moment like is hangman mm. even we all know he's gonna fight but is he gonna fight from the right place you know he's really in this space of not connected he, he's got mm. this real otherness to him and, and it, it's very bitter and sour and, and we know mm. he can go but he mm. only really goes when it comes you know th- those titles and mm. keeping kenny on that edge to, to want to be mm. the tag team champions with him is the only thing that's keeping him going mm. this match essentially means very little to him mm. so when we come back so when we come to the bar hilariously the horse is still there <laughs> and we come in and we see hangman at the bar and it, it is you know the classic western shot and mm. they do have this sense of dialogue is it is is really great it's it's that moment that that is cinema in that moment you mm. know what i mean like that is it's very right for this moment uh, and to know that okay is this the moment where Hangman's going to get involved? And, you know, lo and behold, he does. But he really takes mm. a beating from Hager here as well, which I think is quite important that we know Hangman can go. We know he's very good. Mm. Um, and he's completely fresh, right? Hager's already mm. been fighting in this match. But mm. Hager really gives it to Hangman. Mm. In, in For all intents and purposes, Hangman should be ready to absolutely crush Hager. But he's not, you know, he's, he's checked out. And when he says you know did you come here to fight or did you come here to drink and then goes honestly what's the difference it's like oh my god mm. like oh that just it just says so much mm. uh you see hangman as well like through that he's so athletically gifted you know he's mm. he's flipping around to, to leaping avoid. off everything yeah and but it's not for offense it's for defense mm. as well like we know hangman can do a you know a standing shooting star press we've seen it he's not doing it um and so we really get this this sense of oh wow you know hangman really can't he's not what's the word I, I, he's not fully he's not invested he's not invested but he also there's a part of him that's just can't he can't fight this and you sort of wonder mm. is is he going to actually take a pin here or something? Mm. You know what I mean? Like he, he's really not. And Hager does go for the pin. Um, but of course it's hangman. He can't accept the loss. He's really in this place where losing is, is just way too intense for him. He needs mm. to feel like a winner. So of course he kicks out, but you, you see, he's just like, absolutely just from this section, just absolutely decimated by it. Mm. Um, and when he goes through that table, I mean, shout out to the drink that beautifully like flies into the air, <laughs> the perfect sort of semicircle movement that it just felt like, I was like, that is just like a beautiful, like shot, mm. just a beautiful coincidence that only happens in well-planned segments. Yeah and well-planned shots and thoughts and place, placing props mm. in the right place. So you really got this sense of the, it's a really complete moment, you know, it's, it's very yeah. well thought out. Uh, and for Kenny to come around the corner and sort of save him uh, was also very big because at no point did Hangman feel the need to leave the bar and go help. But Kenny, who's gone through a guardrail, <laughs> has mm. managed to get up, go through the stadium and work out where they are uh, and save him. Uh, and it just feels like a very important moment for Hangman mm. and Kenny particularly. We know yeah. 
in this match. Kenny's still fighting. He's still trying that connection. He's not given up on his tag team partner. He doesn't mm. want to give up on them. He doesn't want to give up on the elite. I mean, he says in the VT, like, you know, if we lose this, I don't know what that means for us. Mm. But, but Adam's not in that same place. Uh, and to see him come through, uh, you know, Kenny come through for Adam was very much like, oh, okay, is, is this going to, yeah. you know, what's this going to mean? And then, you know, Adam finally turns it on once Kenny's there. And again, that says mm. so much about them that Adam is not, he's too deep in his own feelings to fight for himself. But mm. this concept of the tag team and this connection with, with Kenny and keeping him at that arm's length, but not letting him go is important. And so finally, mm. Hangman does rise to the occasion um, with all of that kind of tandem bottle smashing. Mm. Like yep. you're like, oh, OK, so these guys, yep. they will work together. Like they they're will getting do on it. the same page. Yeah, they're on the same page. And that's only when they can take out Hager. That's mm. only when they're able to actually take out this big guy is them working together. Um, and and just the V trigger into that buckshot mm. lariat or that movement. It was just so like, good. Oh, it's, it was just so good and, and tells you so much that despite all their differences, these guys, mm. they have this special blend. And, and it's also important to note that Kenny doesn't necessarily contribute to that, that finisher. He's, the the platform for mm. hangman to be his best literally he bends over and acts mm. as a platform for him to do that and i think that speaks volumes as well and the fact that they share a drink you mm. know at the end of that is just great and again tells you so much that despite all their differences kenny doesn't drink he doesn't go to bars you know that's mm. not his character but he will stand at a bar with Hangman mm. and have a drink. And, and Hangman will lean into it. Of course, there's a, a litre of milk behind the bar. Of course, <laughs> there is. And Adam knows exactly where it is. Yeah. <laughs> and the cheers bud and the cheers baby from Adam, you kind of go like, oh, God, like, uh, despite all of this, despite Adam being so checked out and this brawl mm. and he almost really just eating the dust, this mm. kind of feeling that if Kenny comes through, Adam can do it. But otherwise... Mm he's not going to help and he hasn't helped and he doesn't help after that mm. segment as well. And the only reason they, you know, Hangman turns up afterwards is because Kenny announces that they got to go back. I, I just think it's mm. such a solidifying turning point for Adam that he has checked out the elite. He is not going to help in this match, mm. but if Kenny shows up, he cannot let that go yet. That's yep. too important for him. It, it, it just sits in my mind as such a, defining moment mm. for who adam is and where he's gonna go yeah all i'll add to that that's fantastic i i love that <laughs> i love what you just <laughs> said there um all i'll add is is them sharing a drink at the end is is, is such a unifying moment mm. you know the I, i'm not sure how many times these guys shared the screen beforehand but you know at least in the last five times these guys have shared a screen it was the end of that revolution match where you had that moment where it looked like are the Bucks and Kenny about to kick Hangman here? Like, are they about to super, triple super kick mm -hmm. him? And then you had that moment with Hangman. Is he about to go for Omega here and, and attack Omega here? And, you know, with Hangman in the state that he's in at that point, 
he's been sitting at home replaying that moment in his mind. And and these guys, they've all gone back and they've watched the tape of that match by, by this point, they all know what was happening. They've seen that hangman was like holding the ring, the rope, like he was about to do that hangman seeing that the bucks and Omega were like looking a bit like they were ready to load up like they did on AJ styles. And, and the fact that they come in, they share this fight together and then they share a drink and they not just, they, have their own drinks they pour one another a drink Mm. um and alcohol at this point has been a point of contention between them there's been times where omega's taken a drink out of hangman's hand because he's like mate we're working here we're professionals but not only do they share a drink hangman omega pours hangman a drink and hangman pours omega a drink and they're just like let's put our differences aside these guys are bigger jerks the beef we have with them is greater than any kind of beef i have with you um, let's go and finish this. And it's just a unifying moment. And uh, before I, before we pre-recorded, we recorded this, uh, I sent out a, a tweet and just saying, I'm recording about Stadium Stampede. What was your favourite moment? And overwhelmingly, people agreed with you. This is the part that people remember. And I think it's because, like, as we said, like we've had the silliness that was the Matt Hardy. And this is like the heart. There, there is comedy. There's like an element of comedy in it, you know, particularly the way Hager like drags Hangman across the bar. It's, um, you know, yeah, but, but this is like the heart, this is emotional and this is the coming together of two people that you want to see getting along, um, but aren't on the same page. Uh, so it's, yeah, it, this is my favorite part of the match as well. I I love everything about this bar scene. It's perfect right down to, as you said, that drink just flying and and when they cheers, the milk and the whiskey just mix in together. Oh yeah. Looks completely gross. (laughs) I mean, and and in Kenny Omega fashion, he's never on camera drunk a drink without basically pouring it all over himself. And it's just so funny (laughs) as well to watch like the milk just like pour down him. Uh, And it just says so, so much. And, you know, you can sort of think back to this moment where Kenny is, is really, he's trying so hard for, for Hangman, you know, he pours him the alcohol and Mm. and, and later on, you know, not long after this FTR comes in and there's this whole thing and the big, it's poured on Kenny and Kenny even, you know, he grabs a beer and he toasts it. And like, he's Mm. really that concept of him pouring him that drink is it mm. really shows Kenny is trying so yeah. very, very hard. Yeah. Um, it, it just feels like this was really well planned, really well thought out uh, and important when, mm. when you look back on it. I just thought th- this is really like one of the, the well, piss resistance moments of the yep. matches. Absolutely. We do have to leave the bar, unfortunately. It's a great, as I said, great scene, um, but we do have to leave it. We return to the field with the Bucks and Jericho and Sammy. Uh, and the first thing we see is Matt Jackson and Sammy Guevara brawling. They're sort of intercutting between what's going on. But we'll, we'll deal with each pair um, mm-hmm. separately. Uh, and Guevara, they're both using acrobatics to avoid one another before Matt goads Sammy into charging him and catches him in a Northern Light suplex, um, which turns into a locomotion Northern Light suplex, which turns into another one and another one and another one, and going running the entirety of the field. Libby, do you actually think they did the whole thing, the whole 100 yards, or or what? How do you think they, they shot this? <laughs> <laughs> There's a part of me that goes... Matt Jackson and Sammy Guevara would try and do a, like yeah. 100 yards of Northern Lights suplexes. You won't and do it. And there's also a part of me that Matt Jackson would go, no, I'm absolutely not doing that. Um, yeah, I, they're definitely, I mean, 
oh god who, who knows i mean definitely at this point they you know that barroom brawl i i think i mean i don't know there, there are definitely segments that are pre-taped slotted in I think that I hope the 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 Northern Lights suplexes were pre-taped and sort of cut to because that would just take so much out of a person. Um, but it's also like I absolutely adore it. Like it's so ridiculous. It's so dumb to me. It's even more ridiculous than the the Matt Hardy pool segment. Uh, and I just absolutely adore the concept of them actually doing a hundred hundred yards mm. in in kayfabe. Yes, they did it a hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, in shoot, I I don't know. I it seems very well cut together and and mm. at the right moment. So I think they might have pre-taped them, but it's amazing. This is obviously an ensemble cast, but I've got a theory that like Semi Guevara is the main character of stadium stampede and this is his worst day ever because there's just like there's there's this i love how they intercut this with the brawl we're going to talk about between nick and and chris jericho um Mm. later and they're like intercutting between it but there's this brilliant shot and it's like dead on and all you see is like the like flipping over and coming around and just semi Guevara coming around and the look on his face is just of like astonishment dread (laughs) <laughs> like worry it's brilliant um, and it's just like the perfect kind of comedic silliness um that we didn't see enough of i think in like the 2021 version of um uh, and and the the version of sammy Guevara we're getting today as well um he is brilliant it sammy Guevara is brilliant in stadium stampede uh, just the facial expressions and everything uh, and then of course this moment climaxes with rick knox um giving matt jack they, they he gets the whole way he does a touchdown dance um i think it was a, a dance that american viewers may understand um i don't know you're british you may may or may not understand it but i, Nick- I researched it afterwards <laughs> oh, what is it tell me please tell me so um it's uh, a reference to a wrestler called alex wright uh who i think was in ecw oh, and he okay. he his gimmick was like a german discotheque vibe so he would always <laughs> go down to the ring like doing like ridiculous dancing oh, uh like like it was like uh, and i think his entrance music was like euro pop so like matt was just kind of i think just calling back to what in his mind, maybe one of the most ridiculous sort of like <laughs> dancing elements he could yep. think of. But Rick Knox rightly gives him a yellow flag for excessive celebrations. And then Matt Jackson, because it's Rick Knox, Matt Jackson gives him a super kick. <laughs> so cherry that. on the cherry on the cone there, on the ice cream there. Um, we then, of course, at the same time, and as I said, these are inter, inter, happening at the same time and cutting between them, um, Nick Jackson and Chris Jericho are brawling. Jericho throws Nick into the mouth of, like, the Jaguars logo. Um, mm. There's, like, a 3D Jaguars logo, and Jericho throws Nick into the mouth of it. It's nearby where they're brawling. Um, this brings out the mascot for the Jacksonville Jaguars, Jackson DeVille, who taunts yep. Jericho with like some crotch thrusts. Uh, and Jericho responds, hitting the Judas effect. Libby, I think if there's like one moment that sums up this match uh, in its entirety, that for me would be it. <laughs> <laughs> Just the pure ridiculousness of the moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, and then after Nick gets up, uh, Jericho grabs the witch's hat and wears it as a witch's hat, like the orange traffic witch's hats, witch's cones, whatever you call them uh, in America, as he did in the street fight um, before Nick super kicks him through the training soccer goals. Uh, and he gets the line from JR. It's long enough. It's deep enough. It's good. Um, <laughs> you know, just like organic using what's around like what you'd expect to see on a on a field i think i think those goals i would call them soccer goals football goals but i think they're used for like the kickers to practice into they like yeah. kick into those so it doesn't you know fly however long those <laughs> kicks fly the game. <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> Um, but then Jericho uses his baseball bat to get back into the match. He gets a close two count with, but then Jericho challenges the instant replay, um, and we get some great back and forth between him and Aubrey. Uh, I, I just love the chemistry between Chris Jericho and, and Aubrey Edwards. Oh, a hundred percent. And it also felt very right for for Aubrey. Like, yes, she would be involved in this somehow. You know, she's she's a character within AEW itself, and for for Jericho to not. Uh, challenge her I think would would have been strange yeah those guys have got old country beef at this point so <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> um and after Matt has is done um with Sammy Guevara and, and suplex him the whole the length of the field he joins Nick and the pair combined to take down Jericho as you said that numbers game um taking them out uh having Nick splash through the tables he's running down like the grandstand down all of the stairs of the first level and gives Jericho a big splash through the table. And then just to sort of cap this scene off, Hangman then comes out with a line marker and draws it over Chris Jericho. Yeah, it's so it's it's such a perfect little moment to, to end that, especially with mm. the tensions between like Hangman and the Bucks for for Hangman to just come out at the end and to get that sort of pop moment by doing the line marker over him and Matt and Nick just in the back like, excuse me, for him to <laughs> finally show up. This is the first time Matt and Nick have seen Hangman this whole mm. time, apart from when he was on the horse at the beginning. For him to finally show up also just felt, it felt like it spoke volumes to how uh, sort of like, if was Hangman around the corner the whole time not helping? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I think it was such a good little, little tidbit to also their their kind of ongoings as well and the match enters its final stanza we're back with semi the main character as i said <laughs> uh, on his day from hell and things just keep getting worse he's crawling along the turf and what happens of course the sprinklers start getting him wet of course. and he's floundering around as i said i just love like i love semi Guevara showing ass brilliant like yeah brilliant not enough of it happening at the moment. Um, too much of a bro for my liking right now. Um, but you oh, know, yeah. in this in this extremely likable and very very funny to watch. And then we hear the rumblings um, of the the buggy that's piloted by Kenny Omega and Matt Hardy, and both men are ranting like they're like some anime cartoon characters. Bryce okay. Remsburg is like just busting his ass trying to keep pace next to it. The, the concept that Bryce thinks he can keep up <laughs> and that he that that so also funny. like he's gonna be there because sammy is he's gonna be hit by the golf buggy and someone's gonna have to count it like <laughs> just the absolute stress you feel of bryce rinsberg at that moment is so funny to me and the fact that as well sammy was like thinking that he won before this moment for them oh, yeah, to show that. up is just it's just absolute gold i love it so much 
Sammy, of course, is running for his life at this point, having PTSD flashbacks. Um, <laughs> and and gets into he he gets to the end of the field, climbs up into the into the stands, but he eventually gets cornered on a platform that's set up. Uh, above one of the entrance tunnels. He brawls with Hardy and Omega, but then Neo, the drone, makes his debut, distracting Sammy enough for Omega to hit a real flush V-trigger, gets Sammy up on his shoulders, and it looks like he's just going to do a one-winged angel, but then he steps forward and does an absolutely bananas insane one-winged angel with the pair falling a good, like, I'd say, like, five metres or so onto some, like, wooden padding that's been set up below and this gets the three from Omega. The Elite celebrate, dousing Omega with Gatorade, and then fireworks go off in the background, and they pose together to end the pay-per-view. One for the good guys, Libby. Um, yeah. What an incredible ending. What did you think of the like this ending stanza? I mean, I loved it. Um, I felt like we left on a really good point with the Young Bucks, um, and then moving to this, the fact that there was a platform set up in the seats. I was at a point where I was like, "Yeah, that yeah, seems about anything. right. Yeah, <laughs> that seems about right." Uh, sure, the elite set that up before. I didn't even occur to me until afterwards. Like, huh, that's interesting. Uh, and that one, the cameraman was... was meant to be there. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, he was there waiting. Appreciate yeah. that. So, yeah, the One Win Angel was crazy. Definitely, like, a big, big way to end the match. Like, a real climax Mm. of just, we've gone through all these different things. What's the big thing that can really end this? You know, we've we've gone through pools. Mm. We've gone through bars. We've jumped field goals. We've done 100 yards of northern, like, suplexes. Um, For... Kenny to do this at the end I think is it was just perfect we all know Kenny does not like high spots but he'll do them so as well this is kind of like it's almost like Kenny giving back in this moment mm. like wanting to do something really amazing and I mean <laughs> poor Sammy Sammy is obliterated and what I think is really significant is that once the pin is done that all the elite jump into that pit and they're all just grabbing at Kenny to just mm. try and get him out of there. Like, it's it's very much this moment of, like, they want to look after him mm. and get him out and, and celebrate. Um, and then, interestingly, you know, they have they have this they have this lovely it felt very emotional watching it now, mm. like where we are with AW to see them all celebrating together. Maybe yeah. like feel very emotional. I was like, wow, when, like, was it really this long ago that like this was happening? Mm. It's, it's crazy that after the just absolute charming fact that Matt pours Gatorade over Kenny yeah. and they're laughing. <laughs> and that's um, like another football reference, right? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just like, it, it's totally cashed in on, on the fact that they're in a stadium and they're celebrating mm. like they won a game. Um, Adam is just clutching to, to Kenny, mm. keeping Kenny up. And he's the only one actually keeping Kenny up. And then Matt turns to hangman you know they're in the midst of all laughing and celebrating mm. and he turns to hangman and he says where were you and hangman just suddenly his face drops and he just shakes his head uh it, he doesn't really have an answer and it's this moment that the rest of the elite are celebrating kenny is trying to keep all of his bodily pieces in one mm. um but hangman is suddenly struck with the fact that he didn't participate in this match. He wasn't there with the elite. They're all celebrating this win, but really he wasn't there 
you know, at the brawl in the beginning. He he wasn't there to go through the stadium. He went to the bar. He had his fight. Mm. He left. Uh, and the end was, you know, Kenny taking out Sammy and then Hangman was there for the win at the end. And you sort mm. of get this feeling, this sudden wave of almost regret through Hangman's mm. face compared to the rest of the elite. And you see him pull away from Matt and he just goes over to Kenny and and focuses all his attention on, on keeping mm. Kenny up like this one remaining sense of of connection mm. in the elite and uh it, it's very bittersweet to look at it like they're all hitting their poses and the fireworks are going off but you can't help but notice the sort of pained look on Hangman's face as if he's come to a realization of that no he like he's realizing oh I wasn't present for this apart mm. from when Kenny came and saved me. So mm. it, it's this very, again, it ends on this high note. It's great. And then you've got this little bit of, uh, of story of, of page that, that's mm. not forgotten. Um, and just watching the fireworks go off and then it fades to black mm. with that scene at the end, it really like felt like this ending to the stadium stampede mm. and, and, and this feud, but also the beginning of something else for the elite. Yep. But maintaining the integrity of their characters, who they are, what they've been through, all, all those things we're talking about with like the things that we love about the elite. And like, man, the, the Matt, the Matt Jackson and Hangman Page thing is almost like more complex than Kenny Omega. And Hangman. Oh like, boy. It kind of is like, can you guys just kiss or fight? Like, please. <laughs> What is out of our misery? <laughs> truly, truly, it's it's this amazing thing that that still lives today, mm. you know. And, yeah. and there was definitely this sense of, you know, not forgetting what happened in Japan with the Bucks and the Golden Lovers, mm. and also this sense of that, um, you know, the Young Bucks have spoken before about how they really wanted to build everything around Hangman mm. and do it at the right pace, and they really wanted to use what you know bucks versus golden lovers and that tension and transport it to AEW in a new way mm. um and for this to which they managed magically they mm. they have and they've done it so well and it's much like a lot of the things the elite do well is that they don't repeat the past they just don't forget it and it informs things and there is this this idea of that you know this toxicity between them they can't help but repeat the past. They make the same mistakes. What mm. can be different is how they react to them and the mm. environment they're in. Um, and for this stadium stampede match to to be part of that, and I think a very clear indication of a different path for Hangman, I think it it's such a cool little part of, of that story mm. um, that, that this bizarre very unique format is part of that of that tale of that change uh and, and of that move mm. Mm. it's i mean just the one winged angel at the end as well i just want to go back to that because yeah it's so high and that is like a <laughs> really dangerous move to be taking at that height semi Guevara is a mad lad absolute mad lad as yeah. is kenny omega like what a bonkers way to end the the match you know as we said like what can potentially end the match well the most devastating finisher in all of wrestling from you know five meters high <laughs> like, yeah. yeah yeah absolute yeah. ginormous climax um for it and the scale we talked about the scale uh that's so that we saw at the start with the stadium we see like that final shot 
we see the scale again where like the elite light up the board we've got fireworks going off in the background it's just beautiful moment at the end of the pay-per-view absolutely agree with everything you've said there about the tent the sort of the, like the the celebration but the tension uh, i didn't feel that tension until i did a rewatch until i i'd seen it again because i think look in the moment i was just so swept up by this whole thing um yeah, as you said like by the by the time they got to that platform like they could have done anything and i would have gone along with it because of how they'd structured this match so perfectly as we said like easing it in balancing the silliness and the heart uh and then the big climax at the end which is a huge climax that, that absolutely fits the the ending of this style of match. We've we, we mentioned that our both for both of us our favourite bits is the bar scene. Um, I, I just wanted to to throw to the guys who did respond to um, the tweet that I put out beforehand. So if you're not following me, sir underscore Samuel, um, every now and again before I record one of these things, I'll, I'll throw something out, I'll throw a question out or something. So um, the people who 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 responded, Mike. Uh, Preventure at Rebel Fox. Everything about the bar fight from are you here to fight or drink? Uh, honestly, what's the difference to the debut of the buckshot lariat off someone's back? So he also oh. picked up how it was done later. Uh, and then Matt Jackson's 100-yard Northern Light suplex um, stands out. Craig from Pro Wrestling Musings, um, that's at Craig PW Musings, says Jericho arguing with the ref, so we're arguing with Aubrey, which we both loved as well. Howard Schilling, and I think this is a really good tweet. Um, so that's at Howard underscore E underscore Schill. Um, he said, the fact it seems like a fever dream. We're in the middle of a pandemic. It's weird. It's chaotic. I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, we'll get into talking about that in the legacy because the timing of this match is so such an important part, I think, of what made this match so special. Wrestling Rhymes, Dan from Wrestling Rhymes says, just hangman on a horse, to be honest, uh, as did Bram Bram Bigelow at Stu Bram 2. Hangman's arrival on the horse and chasing Sammy down. Trish Spears, 48, agreed with us. The bar brawl. She also mentioned the field goal. And more love for the bar brawl from uh, the Jerryest Jer at the Jerryest underscore Jer. Uh, and then lastly, the exalted Dom, Dom underscore Delonge, Ortiz selling, getting his bell, lung, bell rung, literally. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was so ridiculous. Yeah. So ridiculous. A lot of love for all the parts of this match. As I said, like, the thing that I think, what I, because everyone likes this match, and, and there's lots of cinematic matches that have happened since and happened beforehand, particularly in 2020. But what I think, like, makes this match great uh, is the structure. Even though it does go for a long time, it, it feels like a breeze, like it watches really quickly. Uh, and that's because they've got like a really clear narrative direction for every scene and a really clear narrative direction for the entirety of the match. The The overarching narrative is like that the good guys can win and they can win it by being themselves. They're you know, like irreverent selves um, with their hijinks that people hate uh, they can beat these like serious usurpers to their throne. And in every single scene, there's like a setup where the good guy gets like an early moment. Then the bad guy takes advantage and gets an advantage. But then through like some sort of wacky hijinks, some sort of hilarious thing, the good guys get the win. Uh, and that's the same in just about every single scene that we talked about. That's the same the way that it works across the whole thing. Uh, and as you mentioned as well, there's like a, a, a an ongoing theme of, of like the numbers game. Yeah, like it, it's 
in this completely nonsensical format with all these crazy things going on, they managed to find this thing that makes sense, which is that, you know, you have to, it's a team game and it's about using these moments to go all over the stadium Mm. and to take out them one by one. We literally have some of the craziest, silliest things people may have seen on AEW up to this point but it, it just makes total sense as you move through the match you know they they find that the rhyme and the reason to get to get to that massive finish at the end it's it's just very well thought out and it's also very genuine like yep. it feels it feels very like they were all invested in this they were all having a good time they all clearly put a lot of thought into this and a lot of thoughts put into the production um so the whole thing is just kind of it is like a fever dream but it's a welcomed one and for some reason it does make sense Mm. and and one thing i'll also add is like the gags and the the hijinks it's all organic it suits the setting that they're in uh, and uh, most of it stems from like long-term character store character arcs or or story bits or just Easter eggs from the past. Um, and this is where I'll start getting into the comparisons. Like the the one that the WWE tried to do that was like very much I felt like very much trying to emulate this was the uh, the Money in the Bank race through the quarters. Uh, mm. And and I think the difference is like the hijinks and the gags in that. Firstly, they didn't like set it up as we said like the way they set up this match where they started out with like just normal wrestling uh and and like it was a wrestling match that just happened to be happening in a stadium and they slowly like moved things out and brought the hijinks started to come in and the more crazier and wackier elements came in slowly whereas that like straight away it was weirdness and and wackiness and the the gags were they they weren't fitting of what was happening yeah it didn't have the same sort of organic nature to it that i think this mat that this one had um and and that's why i think this one works And, and also because this one also has heart it has like the serious moments it's not just 40 minutes of hijinks and comedy. It, it's got the things like the barroom brawl, like at the ending you mentioned, you know, there's a celebration, but there's still like a note of story and character in there. I think as well, they like they did because, you know, the elite, they are crazy mad scientists and they can, they probably could have gone even wilder if they wanted to. Mm. But there was this sense of, these things happen in this environment. The things that are there make sense. And mm. it felt like they had edited themselves and that they mm. had gone, okay, this scene is happening now, or we're going to cut between mm. these two simultaneous things. And this is why, mm. you know, this person isn't involved here, or this mm. sets up this person to be out for a while to then come back up. Yeah. I didn't catch much of that um, WWE one, mm. but uh, am I right in saying it was like the me- it was like the men's and the women's? Uh, yeah, they did like them both at the same, at the same time. time. It's just too much. Mm. That just sounds like absolute chaos to me. There's no. It sounds mm. like the focus, like this had focus. It had focus mm. moments throughout. Whereas this concept of it just sounds like there was maybe way just yep. way too much going on. Um, yeah. In something like that. Also, to make to make a direct comparison, this is just for that I could go into a thousand gags of in that thing that I don't think really worked because I just don't think the writers are very funny compared to mm. what these guys were doing. It, it wasn't as organic, but but there's there's both in both matches you've got a moment where some idiot on the like some idiot bad guy thinks they've won it when they haven't, and in this one it's Semi Guevara. It's right at the end, 
and he is literally like he's being taken out and he's waking up from that and thinking that he's the last man standing. You can buy it because within his moment, he's just woken up. He can't see anyone else around. He thinks that, oh, look, mate, maybe, I, maybe I've won it, guys. Uh, maybe maybe we've won. Uh, in the WWE one, the moment is that they've been told at the start that the money in the bank is on the top of the roof and Dana Brooke, for some reason, because there's like a money in the bank briefcase in one of the boardrooms, thinks she's won it in the boardroom. Uh, and it's just like, mm-hmm. and, and then it takes this weird intercut thing with Stephanie McMahon calling her an idiot that tells her that she's not. And it's not funny because it doesn't make any sense because like no one's that stupid. You know, from Sammy's point, he does look stupid, yes, but you can believe that he is that stupid. Um, yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah. And if the goal is that, like, if, if mm. the the thread throughout has been, you know, people are being knocked off one by one, and it totally mm. makes sense that Sammy thinks everyone else yeah. has been knocked out and he's the last yep. one. Yeah. Just to bring up other matches as well, did you watch the Boneyard match? I didn't. I didn't watch it. I've seen bits yep. of it, and I know it's very well received i believe yeah yeah i think that's probably the this one and and the boneyard i think there was lots of matches that were done in 2020 that were cinematic because wrestling organizations were just going what what can we do like how can we how can we do it and people also really liked the um firefly funhouse which was uh in the like this altered state and sort of that was a complete fever dream that was like an lsd trip or something um <laughs> but but the boneyard match was uh, i i did a so at the time when i was writing for wrestling headlines at the end of 2020 we threw in an extra category to our match of the year stuff because uh, it had been like the year of cinematic wrestling of like what was the best one and the stadium stampede and the boneyard got like 80% of the vote between the two of them. Boneyard won out. And that one's that one has a lot less of the kookiness. For me, that was the uh, the other way that you can kind of do these things. And that was almost like it was um, a scene from The Expendables, you know, mm. where you've got like this old action hero who you love, you know, in those movies, you've got like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, Bruce Willis, um, and they get to be like the tough old grizzled action heroes that they were in the 80s but with like this grizzly added vibe because they're now you know much older and it kind of lets you like relive your youth and think like oh i'm a middle-aged man at this point who's going bald but you know i can still be the like the (laughs) badass that i was in my 20s ripping and tearing and that's like what like that kind of it was that kind of action scene where it was like the undertaker playing his greatest hits in like a really cinematic and really well done manner that put over you know like the greatness of this character. It's a very different match, but that was like the other cinematic match that I would say really works along with the Firefly Funhouse, but that's like a whole other thing. That yeah, I, yeah. I, can't. I, yeah. I think the thing about this, I wasn't even Stampede, a match. <laughs> it was an experience. Yeah. It really um, <laughs> the thing about the stadium stampede as well is that it doesn't, I don't immediately go in my mind stadium stampede. Oh, that's a cinematic match. It felt like it had cinematic moments, but mm. it existed within this wrestling sphere, within this mm. kind of rationality of them being in this stadium and using it. And also, like, there were moments that are, you know, it starts in that wrestling. And then we have these more like scenes, cinematic mm. scenes, than the whole thing being cinema. And I think that also sets it apart from a lot of cinematic matches is that it's this kind of hybrid of Mm. 
what a cinematic match is and wrestling and what AEW, AEW mm. does and stands for. In, it, in a way, I sort of feel like it's made its own category of, mm. of within the cinematic like wrestling genre. It's sort of this blend of a lot of elements rather than just mm. trying to deliver cinema, um, yeah. which I think maybe makes it a bit more genuine because, you know, mm. sometimes it can go over people's heads and sometimes people mm. do just they want to watch the wrestling yeah um and i think this it blends these these things that mm. that makes it unique within uh, the mm. sphere of all the different cinematic matches that are out there yeah and i think that this worked so much more successfully than the second one um and not just because of the the fact that it, it happened during the pandemic and the second one was kind of during a live show. I don't think the second one had the same structure and the same discipline. Like the second one was kind of like, as you said, like there's a bunch of scenes, but they didn't have the, the natural flow to them that this one had. Of course it didn't have the wrestling at the start, um, which as we said, like that was important for setting things mm. up. Uh, but then you had like these just random scenes where like oh suddenly FTR and proud and powerful in like a like a weird dance underground sort of thing is happening and and then have a fight in there and then even though there's a pay per view going on next door apparently the Jacksonville Jaguars are also doing like crucial like planning and and coaching stuff of course in the middle you know at eleven o'clock at night and and they're interrupting that and stuff and, and the gags aren't they're not set up in previous ways that like the gags in this were, they're not as organic. And I also think, and this is, I think the last thing that I want to to bring up is how important do you think it was that this happened at the time when it happened in the pandemic, when there was so much uncertainty in the world, how much, how much do you think that plays in, into making this match so special? I, I genuinely believe this, this match couldn't have happened without it being the pandemic. Um, mm. it, it is, it is a birth of AEW rising against any doubts that they couldn't survive this this mm. pandemic. It was born out of a situation that they said we're going to make the best of. Um, and what I really loved about the pandemic time for AEW is that Daily's Place was its own character for this mm. time. It it was its own living, breathing thing. And the stadium and having it and them going, why don't we do this? It, it, I just don't think it could have happened really in, in any other situation because their hands were forced. Um, and it's so, it's it's just so, you know, it was fun, um, but it still pushed us through stories. It mm. still told us things. You know, I, I think it it's such a unique part of AUW mm. and its time and really important to to let people know as well what mm. AEW is about M- more than ever people were probably watching wrestling during mm. this time and AEW could have you know tried to really buckle down on you know what does a mass market product do we need mm. to you know stay alive in this time um such a young company but mm. instead they went the other way and they said no, we're different. We do things differently. We're the alternative product. Let's be alternative in this. Uh, and just just cashing in on that and cashing in on the the, the brilliance of, of all the minds involved in that, I think I think is great. Mm. And it also gave them time to plan 
this properly you know mm. it's not something you want to kind of stumble into and it definitely feels like the street fight was like a good warm-up for them to mm. learn how to plan for this um and the fact that it was the pandemic the fact that everyone was was there in that space all the time there was time around to, to practice things mm. and test things it just really couldn't have happened if they were on the road you know mm. they would have had to really had to carve out some time um so it's just it's such a special unique thing that, that made the best of, of something mm. very very bad at the time and, and, and provided something great amid, mm. amidst it all and also something I think the wrestlers really enjoyed doing because yep. you know the burnout was real and it was difficult mm. and it's, it was nice to see everyone mm. just having a, a, a great time and, and doing things that mm. that were not only really great to watch but were genuine because mm. it was genuine fun for them mm. yeah 2020 was a really like a really dark year mm. uh, and I, I feel like in some ways, like there was all sorts of terrible moments, but this one was—I I don't know what it's like in the UK—but it felt like around this time was one of the worst times in Australia. Mm. Uh, it was when, of course, lockdown had, was happening, but initially in lockdown there was this kind of—it sucked, but there was like a surge of hope almost, um, mm. and a, like a "we'll get through it together." But then the cracks started to show, and that's when this. That, that was around about this time that the cracks were starting to show. People were getting testy and, and you started to see things that would, you know, flare up in all sorts of weird spots um, later in the year. But but this like was just a ray of sunshine in a moment where I, I was feeling really down and lots of people felt that way. In the, all of the commentary on that, um, the 2021 the, the list we did, 2021, where we got people to write stuff, everyone mentioned that, like, this was a ray of light in their life at the time. And also part of it, I think, is you mentioned in there, like, the meta thing was, like, how is this company going to survive mm. in a time where have, like, wrestling, which needs a crowd, can't have a crowd? Uh, and, and how can they get through this against almost impossible odds? Can they band together and do it? And that's, like, the narrative of this match. The It's, like... How can the elite get back on the same page uh, and overcome this obstacle that has been beating them down, that's been beating them to the punch every time, and that's been dividing them and conquering them? Uh, and, and that's like such a unique blend of like the meta narrative that's happening at the time, the narrative that's happening. And then crucially, of course, as you said, like in every scene in this, the good guys win. Like, And that's just – it's so positive and so uplifting in a time where we needed that. In, in every circumstance, the good guys win, and they do it by, as I said, they do it by being able to be themselves, um, by being able to to rely on the the kind of irreverent, positive people that they are. And even though there is that thread of tension, which has to be there because they're complex characters and they stay true to the characters that they are, um, it is still like overwhelmingly positive uh, and overwhelmingly a, a victory for the good guys, which is just so needed at that moment. Uh, and it capped off what was just a an epically successful pay-per-view. You know, you had to start with, uh, you had Jungle Boy and MJF like wrestling each other to a standstill. You had Hikaru Shida triumphing over Nyla Rose. You had the brilliant John Moxley Brody Lee match, um, which I spoke about in in episode five of this uh, with Gareth. It was a triumph of a pay-per-view. They could pull it off at this point, and this was the crown jewel in it. Uh, and, and such a positive moment. I can see 
obviously people are, who are listening can't see, but you are nodding um, along with me. Uh, did, did you feel that way as well? Yeah, 100%. And what I wanted more than anything in that moment was for just to AEW to be itself, to, to deliver mm. what I what I loved about AEW for mm. that that ray of light. And, and it did. It didn't mm. it didn't try and take us to a place that that wasn't right for it you know we want people really wanted a great AEW feeling pay-per-view at the Mm. time and and they gave it they gave it to us Mm. and it felt like AEW had evolved it felt like Mm. this was something that that was them it was the word branded sounds bad but it was Mm. like it was their brand you know Mm. um and that's what we what we needed at that Mm. time was to see AEW stronger than than ever Mm. um shining not only a ray of light in that time for mm. watching it but also to be excited for for as we go forward mm. throughout this dark time you know this was great and now this there's even greater things to come of, of from mm. the outcome of this it wasn't yeah uh like the end of an era it was just mm. another part of it yeah it was like a fist in the air we will not be beaten when we're not lying down for this a hundred percent and the fact that you know like stadium we're kicking out at one (laughs) (laughs) full bt trigger style um the the fact that as well that you know they're having no audience this was i i don't know how this would have been and i probably would have loved it but but being a live audience for this particular match um I reckon like it wouldn't have worked. And so this, this Mm. little space that this existed in, that this pay-per-view existed in kind of benefited from the fact that there was no audience because they just Mm. took this different route. Um, And it was, yeah, it was just a great, great moment, I think Mm. in, in AEW's history. Yeah, absolutely. Double or nothing is a hell of a franchise. Like the first, the first ever pay-per-view they had and you have that Cody Rhodes match and the Dustin, the Cody Rhodes, Dustin Rhodes match, all that. And then this one was the second one. And then the third one, the return of crowds. I've got a friend who was at that and he said it was like a religious experience. Oh, Uh, I can imagine. For the for the people out there um, listening, this is recorded a little bit before um, it's gone to air, but we're heading up to Double or Nothing. They've got a hell of a lot to live up to this this um, Double or Nothing 2022. Uh, and I just want to leave on on the question here, um, particularly given that we are heading up to Double or Nothing, and that's where they last year they did run a stadium stampede, even though they had a live crowd returning. And as, as I said, it was a mixed success at best. Um, I like the ending where they got back to the crowd, but I don't think it worked quite as well as i've sort Mm. of alluded to do you think that this is a a match type that they go back to ever again i have mixed feelings about it because i think what i really liked about the second stadium stampede was that it felt like sammy Guevara had been on a journey from the last stadium stampede to this one and the fact (laughs) that main character right (laughs) (laughs) exactly and the fact that he finished that stadium stampede one-on-one with sean spears in the, the ring and got the pin compared to the year before where he was essentially turned to dust yeah. uh was it felt like a great culmination of of what stadium stampede can do i definitely i liked the second one it was different i don't think there was something so special about the first one that i i just i don't know i'd like to think it can continue going because i love that this this unique feeling that it has mm. and that feels like AEW and it sets up it makes uh space 
for wrestlers to do crazy bits um mm. and you know weirdly enough like you look back on the first stadium stampede and the several iterations of matt hardy uh the hundred yard <laughs> northern light suplexing that all like we, we didn't question it we were like of course it's great and then in the second one when they were going through the offices and there was bits and stuff happening we kind of went you know, it's less ridiculous, but we weren't, we didn't buy in on it. It, it didn't mm. feel as genuine. So I'd like to think if they did another one, that there's a lot of lessons to be to be learned. Mm. And there is maybe something, there's a, a, somewhere in the middle where we, the audiences can be there for it. And also it has that charm of the first one where there was no audiences. So that really there was, mm. you know, they could go anywhere, do anything. You didn't have to worry mm. about who could see what. Yeah, I do. I do very much feel like I don't want them just to do it because they can. Mm, it's yep. such a special thing. Yeah, that agree. It should be protected. So uh, I, I can't see it happening for Double or mm. Nothing. Hey, maybe by this point they've announced there's going to be a stadium stampede. I don't In know. In Las Vegas. I mean, from the experience, jeez, I mean, really. <laughs> that could be wild. I mean, they did yeah. the whole Caesar's Palace thing before, right? Um, <laughs> and you know maybe they they do something crazy through a casino or i don't know but lesson lesson one for me would be make sure you've got the young bucks in every single stadium stampede or (laughs) at least putting it together because those guys are they're like they're the geniuses of multi-man matches and like I, I give a lot of praise to them for how this was structured. Obviously, it was a collaborative vision. I don't actually know. But just knowing what Young Bucks matches look like, this is, like, seamlessly put together and flows like a Young Bucks multi-man match does. So um, that would be my lesson number one if I was yeah. to give one. The planning yeah. for the stadium mm. stampede is, is what's most important, yep. I think. So we'll just see. I don't know. There's a part of me that wants to protect it, but there's also a part mm. of me that's like, no, other people should do it. Other it should be out there. It should continue to exist as part of its legacy. It, it's it's a very mixed mixed mm. feeling. I'd like to yeah. think it can continue to go on. I definitely think that the the experience of WWE gimmick pay per views, which have been around for over ten years at this point, is that it dilutes the it dilutes the thing uh dilutes the gimmick you know you think of the hell the the classic one is hell in a cell like when i was first getting into wrestling in 2008 the hell in a cell was like mythical um but now Mm. it's just like it's something that happens every year and every second like everyone's had one whereas before it was like this crazy thing that like the undertaker and triple h were specialists in because they'd had so many and that was like a really special thing but now it's like something that happens every year. And I think Stadium Stampede should be protected. And same with, I mean, same with, so far they've done that with Steel Cage, with Blood and Guts, with um, Dog Collar even. They've protected their gimmicks. And I really hope they do that with Stadium Stampede. Like I could go years without ever seeing one because it's such a big thing. And and as I said, like so much of the charm of this one is the timing that it was in. And even the second one, like the thing that worked the most was the return to the crowd and the reason that that worked so well was because it was the idea of it was that like this was AEW returning to its crowd so it was the art mirroring reality aspect mm. and yeah look 
I mean, I I know not to bet bet against AEW, right? And bet against the elite. Like, I'm mm. sure they could pull off something mental in Las Vegas if they wanted to, or wherever they choose to do it. But yeah, I I'm of the mind that please protect an AEW. <laughs> yes, and and even though it's a ridiculous, mm. unique situation. It should make sense. We shouldn't just do a stadium yeah, stampede 100%. just because. The second one, it made sense that Inner Circle were like, we've done this before, we'll take you on in it. Uh, yeah. For it to come up again, I don't I don't know um, yeah. how or why. Yeah. But I do have faith in AEW that they wouldn't just, you know, just put it on a plate and give it to you without seeing the menu first. Yeah. Uh, look, Libby, we have hit nearly two hours. This is by far the longest one of these I've ever done. Oh, my God. Right. <laughs> No, that's all right. It's the it's the longest match we've ever done as well. So I, I ex- kind of expected this to happen, but I, I really appreciate you popping on today. Um, I just wanted to ask, is there anything else you want to say about the Stadium Stampede match uh, or, or about anything around what we've talked about today? No, I think I just think it's it's a great uh, match. If you haven't watched it, you should. Um, if and it's if you are. Uh, wanting to experience feelings <laughs> to go back and watch this now and see the elite come out to the being the elite music and to see the inner circle from before and what was going on and it, it's it's very it was very uh bittersweet and quite special it felt like mm. lethargic to to rewatch it and it really made me think about today and, and where we are so it's mm. definitely worth rewatching. and i just i will never ever forget the moment in my mind where Matt Jackson grabs Sammy Guevara's head and spikes it down like a football. (laughs) It's just so good. Like, and then just to see him like super kick Rick Knox, it's just, it just feels like just so them. It's a real serotonin moment. Um, And I I couldn't recommend more, especially now going back uh, and Mm. watching it and just experiencing it. Agreed. Couldn't agree more with you there. I loved going back. I watched this before the last Double or Nothing as well. Um, I went back and rewatched this and rewatching it for this and digging in for the research that I did for the podcast was a joy. Um, I'm so glad that I did it. And I, I'm so glad that you, I was able to have you on today. You've br- brought so much detail along, um, so much heart as well. And, and I, I love how, how into it we've gotten. Um, so I really appreciate you popping on today, Libby. Uh, it, lastly, if you could just let the people know if they want to chat to you, find you online, find your work, what, what can they do? Where can they find you? So you can find me on Twitter at Libby underscore Cadman, C-A-D-M-A-N. Um, I also write for Wrestling. Um, I talk a lot about um, sort of uh, AEW, um, a lot of sort of textual analysis on the elite and their past and their history. I tweet a lot about Japan, uh, the scene there. Um, you will find me deeply feeling about <laughs> Kaiser Fushi. Um, so if that's that's your stuff, come come check me out. Come say hi. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to come and and talk about this mm. match with you. I absolutely love it. Um, and yeah, I I hope uh, if anyone does come and, and check me out that to you know they enjoy enjoy what's there. Mm. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll give a shout out just to Wrestling in general. Um, it's a fantastic website. I, I love reading their stuff, especially if you love getting into the the story and character. Um, Wrestling for me, that's the, that's the place to go for that. So uh, if you've if you've loved listening to this today and the the way we've geeked out and nerd out nerded out about that sort of stuff, you, you'll love going to Wrestling. So, oh, so give absolutely. the site a look. Yeah. And if it's if AW isn't your thing, we have there are people who are just just as fervently passionate about the Josh you see about wrestling history and mm. all of that and it's it's definitely worth um you know there is something i always like to say there is something for everyone at, yep. at the inn hey there's there's many seats at the inn what can you say exactly exactly hey. including one yeah. for you sam <laughs> <laughs> i've got i've got way too much on my plate for, for, <laughs> for doing another lot of columns Libby. I've, I've been down that game i've written a hundred of them <laughs> I'm tapped out at that, but <laughs> love I love the work you guys do there. Anyway, look, the good people you've you've spent a long long enough listening to me, and if you've listened this long, I, I really appreciate it. Uh, I I've absolutely been loving doing the podcast. Of course, we've got Double or Nothing coming up, which will mark a new year uh, for the match guide. So we're going to be getting a new match guide coming out, um, for the year that we're currently just finishing up for AEW and that will finish at double or nothing 2022. So we'll be having a new list coming out, which will mean a whole new list of whole new set of podcasts that we can do. And I'd love to have you back for something Libby. Um, we'll work out those details afterwards, but if you want to, to talk to me about this match, to, to let me know what your favorite moments were. If we missed anything, if we uncovered anything for you, please let me know. You can find me on Twitter, sir underscore Samuel. Uh, and I love, I love hearing your thoughts there as well. Uh, but thank you for listening. Libby, thank you once again. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, and I cannot wait to do this all again for another match next week. And I will see you then. Thanks for listening to the AEW Match Guide podcast. If you enjoyed the show, then you can subscribe on the podcast app of your choice so you never miss an episode. Also, feel free to let me know on Twitter at Sir underscore Samuel. I'd love to hear from you. The AEW Match Guide podcast is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network, where you can find many other fantastic podcasts discussing not just AEW, but all parts of the world of professional wrestling. Looking forward to seeing you again next week. I'm Sam Brown.